This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Welcome. Welcome. It's good to have you here. Um, we are going to begin here um, because it is time and people will come in as they come in, I guess. I figured that after lunch we'd have a little bit of a struggle getting back, and that's okay. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer. Dearest Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity we've had to present here at GYC to get to know some of these parents here, to get to know some of the people here who we are all working towards the same goal, and that is bringing our children to you. So I pray that as we talk here in this last session, that you will continue to guide, continue to lead, and let your voice be heard in your name. Amen. So far, we've talked about the main goal of parenting. We've talked about how discipline helps us achieve that goal, how the best way for us to share that relationship is to model it to our kids and to live it out in our own lives. We've talked about how sharing that story can take all kinds of different approaches and every possible way. Um, but for this last session, we wanted to talk about how do we actually define success in parenting? What does that look like? So let's take a couple moments um, and just share with the people at your table, how would you define success at parenting? If you are sitting alone, I'm going to make this awkward and invite someone to invite you into their group. So, okay, so let's just spend a couple moments articulating how we would define success in parenting.
Okay, so what are, what are some ways at your tables you have defined success? Re reaching your goals, okay. What are those goals? Well, whatever goal specific for you or your family or your child, like your values. Okay. You know, each person can be a different. Yeah. But whatever you set, you know, like you see it happening, I've been successful in teaching my kid this because he's showing that he's doing Okay, yeah. Success in seeing your kid live out those values you've been trying to instill. Okay. So she was saying character development, especially at a young age, seeing seeing that developed and come to fruition, that's, yeah, I mean, that. For me, there's all, the, for me the measure of success is, is my kids make it to heaven. That's it. I mean, uh, if they're rich, if they have a job, if they don't have a job, if they, if, if, if they marry the wrong person, but they still, you know, God still works with them to get them to heaven. I mean, that's for me the, the goal. How they get there, you know, God will leave them with that. But yeah, And I, I think you've right now hit the nail on the head where, where we're all at. Is defining success for parenting is eternal salvation for our kids. It's that lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. Um So, in saying that, success does not equal perfect children. Like, and I, I think that's healthy for us to remember because often, I mean, it was what, two weeks ago that our oldest had a complete meltdown at the grocery store? Yeah, and it did not feel like success. Um, but success is children having a relationship with Jesus. Now, the problem with that as being our measure of success 
that's not something we get to do. I cannot choose a relationship for my boys. They have to choose it for themselves. And this, I think, is where you realize that parenting has its problems. Because, oh, you're, you're fine, you're fine. Because all of a sudden, you can't just say, okay, if you do this, this, and this, and this, you will achieve success. Because the thing we're trying to achieve is them making the decision for themselves. So can be a little bit discouraging, right? Um, we're, we're talking today about so many things that we can do to help our kids to choose Christ, to choose relationship, to choose heaven, to choose eternal life. Um, but yeah, we, we can't force it. It's not something that is possible for us to do as parents. So we have the unfortunate reality of our goal being completely unreachable as far as we ourselves are concerned, right? But we have, we have a partner. Um, and I'm getting ahead of myself, of course. We're, okay, so... Yeah, I'm way ahead of myself. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm supposed to tell a story. Okay. Sorry, guys. Okay, so here's my story. This is, I'm, I'm not one of those moms that has it all together. Some moms have it all together, and they're the ones that I ask for a diaper when I forget one or a Band-Aid when my kid has a skinned knee, and, of course, I have nothing as usual. Or, you know, you know the moms that always have everything, and it's, like, really organized, and it's organic, and it's just really nice. <laughs> and their hair is done and all that stuff. I'm the mom who's like, yep, I, I took a shower today, and that is my measure of success, and my children are here, and if they have clothes on and they're clean, bonus, Right? I am not the mom who has it all together. So it takes, it takes a lot of work for me to get organized. And, and one thing um, that as a pastor's wife, uh, a reality for me is that although my husband is around a lot, he's a super hands-on dad, so I don't want you to get the wrong idea. He's also gone a lot. And in the summers, he's often on mission trips. So a couple years ago, two, three years ago, I guess, three summers ago. My husband was away on a mission trip, and I took my son to, um, to see my family. And we, I was pregnant with my second son. I had a little 18-month-old, less than 18 months then. He was pretty young. Anyway, I had him, and I had to get eight hours away. Not only was my son, oh, I guess he was probably 19, 20, 20 months old, but my son started potty training, it was his idea, at 17 months. 
So at 20 months, he was no longer wearing a diaper during the daytime. Uh, first son only. Second son, no potty training in sight, guys. But the first son, so, so I have to go on a road trip with this kid who doesn't wear a diaper anymore, and I'm trying to get eight hours of driving away, which you know, if you have a freshly potty trained child, eight hours of driving is really like 20,000 hours of driving because you're going to stop to go potty every four minutes. And I was also very pregnant and it was not easy, but I thought, I will not stay in my house for two and a half weeks with this child in the summertime I am too pregnant for this. I'm going to see my mom. So I took my son, and I packed up, and I left. And actually, guys, I had it pretty together for once in my life. We had a system. I was driving. I had the box of books and toys set on the front seat where I could reach it. I could hand it back to him safely without taking my eyes off the road. I could take things back and put it away. We had audiobooks to listen to. We had, we had the Christian children's music queued up on the iPhone, plugged in. It was ready to go. I had a cooler of snacks that I could reach at the foot of the passenger seat because nobody was sitting in there. And I had snacks, guys, cold snacks. And it was amazing. And we did really, really well. There were a few hiccups along the way, a few times when... We didn't make it to the bathroom fast enough for my son, but we made it. We made it. Nothing catastrophic happened. And the next summer, my husband was gone again for two and a half weeks in the summer. And I thought, hmm, now I have another small child. I am not staying in this house alone. So I went to see my mom. And this time we had... 18 hours of driving, something like that. It was a long trip. We stayed overnight. But, it, um, but I said, I'm going to use my system. So I put everything in a box, got it, got it all figured out. I said, listen, at the end of this, I got home. My husband got home. I said, honey, I have got this car, this, this road trip thing figured out. So we went a few months later to Tennessee for Christmas and I thought, this is going to be so easy because my husband is actually finally coming with us on a road trip and it's only eight out, nine hours. We're going to make it because there's going to be two of us. and Everything's going to be so much easier and I'm not pregnant. And our children are both a little bit older and we're going to make it because I won't even have to drive and reach things. I can, only, I can just do one or the other. So we packed everything up. We used the system, not in the front seat, of course, because he was sitting there then. But we put everything where we could reach it. We had everything ready to go. We had amazing snacks. And we thought we were doing pretty well. But actually, we were reminiscing last night as we were walking back to the hotel from the conference center. At, at, at the Panera, right outside the conference center, we, we stopped in Louisville on our way to Tennessee from Michigan. And right outside, we, we looked at the very parking space we had parked in to go to Panera. We opened the door to get our youngest out of his car seat for lunch, and he was covered in vomit. Now, why are my stories always about vomit? I don't know. But 
but he was covered in it. We didn't even know. We had no idea. He was rear-facing. We couldn't see him. He had cried and fussed for a while, but like all good parents do, we pushed through, and we kept driving because nobody had to go to the bathroom, and we didn't know. Covered in vomit. So we thought, oh, no, this kid is sick. So we cleaned him up because I had an extra change of clothes, guys. I was ready. Extra change of clothes, cleaned him up, got him on the road, I don't know, an hour? Maybe. Maybe. An hour after lunch, both of our kids throwing up. Oh, no, this is the worst bug ever. So now out of extra changes of clothes, we had to... um, We had to continue on our way. It kept happening, guys. Our children, it turns out, did not have a stomach bug. This is every car trip of our life for the rest of our lives now. They have motion sickness. So so the lesson that I learned was that even when you're prepared, even when you do everything right, some things are just out of your control. Some things are just out of our control, guys. It's... Parents know this. It's not always vomit. Thank, thank you, Jesus, that it's not always vomit. But there are things out of our control. A lot of them are scarier than that. We don't have everything under our power to manipulate, to change, to plan for. All we can do is the best that we can do. can't really talk about parenting without this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I think that often for parents, this verse is terrifying. Because what do you do when your children leave the church? Because you read this verse and it's so easy to interpret that as, well, clearly I did not train my child up in the way he should go. Clearly, I did something wrong because now we're here at this point. Worked for years as a youth pastor both in California and Michigan. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with parents in tears about the decisions their children have made. And the responsibility, they feel for it. But let's be honest for a moment. I mean, how many of us have siblings who were raised the same way who are not in the church? How many of us Well, I mean, my own family. I have two older brothers. The one is sort of in the church. The other one left the church and took his own life. And it's not like we were raised differently. It's not like my parents did something right with me that they didn't do with them. And it's so easy for parents... To take that all upon ourselves, to say, well, clearly, I didn't do something right. But I find some really good news in the Bible as well. 
First of all, if there was a perfect parent, it's, it's Jesus. And you see with Adam and Eve, that story should mess with you guys. Because God, knowing the beginning from the end, he created them. Knowing the decisions they were going to make, he created them. And allowed them to make those decisions. He did everything right. It's not like at some point, oh, God, had you said something better, maybe they would have listened. He did everything right, and they still chose. And Jesus' disciples. It's not like when Jesus was teaching the lessons, he wasn't letting Judas in. He gives us the freedom of choice. Our children have it too, though. And it's terrifying, and it's scary, and there are days that we wish they didn't. There are days we wish we could step in and make their decisions for them. But I need you to realize as parents, achieving ultimate success is still their decision. I think that often it's easy for us to confuse the role of a parent with the role of the Holy Spirit. And this is the beautiful thing about freedom of choice. It's the other side of the coin. And that is because we cannot do it all. Parenting, we have to partner with God. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We've got to spend time in prayer because we don't get to make those decisions for them. But... Let's spend a moment talking about the good news of parenting because I feel like this one's been a little, a little rough so far. The good news is when we're partnering with the Holy Spirit, it's not on, all on us. We're partnering with the God of the universe. And so if things don't go right, we don't have to take all the guilt for that. The other good news is when you're partnering with God to raise your children, you can rely on his power. The same God who could speak things into existence. His words have the power to change reality. When you're partnering with someone like that, there is nothing that is impossible. And so, there are going to be moments as a parent, whether we're talking about a toddler or a teenager 
or a child who's raising their own children. There are going to be moments of frustration beyond all reasonable belief where there is nothing you can do except go to your knees. And it's those moments where we don't rely on our own wisdom, where we don't rely on our own abilities, our own power, but we can rely on God's power. And that's, that's good news. The other good news is the long game. Success in parenting isn't about how young our ch children get potty trained. This is good news. It's not about the grades they get in elementary school or which college they get into. We're talking about a goal of eternity. And so there will be failures along the way. There will be stumbles. There will be mistakes. But when we're focusing on eternity, there's time for that story to be rewritten. There's time for the wrongs to be corrected. And there's time for God to make what we've done wrong right. Because as parents, we are going to say and do the wrong things at times. And the other good news is we need evangelism for our own salvation. Um, when talking about, in Ephesians, when talking about spiritual armor, he says, whatever shoes prepare us to share the good news. Part of our defense is our evangelism. As Christians, we need to be telling other people about Jesus Christ. It, it's in our DNA. If we don't do it, our own relationship with God starts to suffer because it is part of who we are. We've got to be telling people about Jesus Christ. And this is good news for parents because God has given us people to tell about him. As we tell our children about Jesus Christ, as we raise them in that relationship, it strengthens our relationship. We need it. It's healthy for us to be telling others. And this does not mean that everybody needs to have more children. But if you have children, take advantage of that. As the primary discipler of your children, you have the ability to tell them about Jesus in ways that no one else can. I love working with kids. I love telling them about Jesus. But as parents, we have the ability to communicate in ways that no pastor, no teacher ever will. I mean, think about it. We, we think like our, like our parents, don't we? we? We have the same... So, if... We think like our parents, and then our kids are going to think like us. They're going to inherit some of the same reasoning skills and so forth. And so the very things that we have wrestled with and chosen to stay in the church, the things that we've wrestled with and chosen to continue that relationship with God are most likely going to be along the same lines of the things they wrestle with, which as parents means we're the ones best equipped 
to bring our kids to Jesus. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't partner with pastors and teachers. But as parents, embrace that role because no one is going to have the skills and ability that you naturally have just because they've inherited them from you. So take advantage of those things. So we're going to talk a little bit more about guilt because guilt is something that um, plagues a lot of parents. Um, It actually... Um, I, I've done a little bit of research about it, and moms tend to feel guilt more than dads do. It's not to say that dads are immune to it, but moms carry a lot of the mental load of parenting in many families um, disproportionately to what the dads do, even the best, most involved dads. Um, we just tend to, to take things upon ourselves in a kind of a different way. So... Um, I'm going to talk a lot to moms here, but dads can get something from this too. But a lot of Christian moms feel guilt over things like um, not always being a good Christian example to our kids. I mean, we know what we're supposed to be like, and, and we're not always like that, right? Sometimes we're not the best Christian example. Um, We feel guilt over our kids leaving the church or not wanting a relationship with Jesus or just not being interested in spiritual things. Um, We take that and we internalize that and we feel personally responsible for it. And and also um, not creating enough of a spiritual environment in the home. We we feel guilt over that. Some, Some of us do. And not, um, some of us even feel guilt over not being part of a spiritually united parenting team. So maybe you have a spouse that isn't on board with Christianity, who isn't um, going to church, who doesn't support you in your spiritual endeavors with your kids. And sometimes people feel guilty about that too. Um, there's, there's a lot to feel guilty over because we're not perfect um, and we do make mistakes, but, um, but guilt isn't always helpful and it's not always healthy. And there is a difference between healthy and unhealthy guilt. So um, healthy guilt, and it can be healthy because sometimes we do bad things or things that we could have done better and we feel guilty about it. And healthy guilt is based on an objective view of the matter, okay? So sometimes we do things that anybody looking at it would say, mm, that was not a good thing to do, okay? Maybe you, um, maybe you belittle your child in some way and tear them down. Maybe you um, just set a bad example of, of maybe you... Tell them something that's not true so that they'll stop asking you a question. I don't know what it might be. But based on an objective view of the matter, you know, it it was just not a great thing to do. Um, Healthy guilt is guilt over something like that. And then it's also guilt that is helpful and motivating, okay? If your guilt is healthy, it's going to motivate you to make a change, to make things right for the thing that you did, and then to change that behavior moving forward. 
or at least make moves towards changing it, right? We all know that positive change is not always instantaneous. But healthy guilt is going to move you in a forward direction, a positive forward direction. Guilt that's unhealthy is based on something that, usually anyway, based on something that we cannot realistically do better or differently. You're feeling guilty over something that you have no control over. You know, sometimes um, I, I have a friend who told her son that they are going to go on a pony ride this summer. Well, she took the boy to the pony ride place, and the pony ride place was closed for the season a week earlier than it said on the website. And she couldn't give him a pony ride, even though she promised him a pony ride. She felt guilty about it. She felt bad about it. And it makes sense to feel bad about it, but feeling a lot of guilt over something that you can't change doesn't do anybody any good, right? It wasn't realistically something that you could have done better. She did her best. And it, it wasn't a pony ride, but it wasn't something that she needed to feel guilty about either. It's discouraging and demotivating to hang on to unhealthy guilt. So if your guilt is just bringing you down, making you discouraged, and making you feel like, you know what? I can't even get a pony ride for my little boy. What's the point? I can't do anything right. It's demotivating. It takes the wind out of your sails. You can have a pretty good idea that your guilt over something is unhealthy if it does not spur you on, but brings you down. And if you're struggling, if you're struggling with unhealthy guilt, oh, one more thing, I wanna go back. Um, healthy guilt, once you move past it, that guilt is gone. It doesn't stick around forever because you've made the changes that you need to make to head yourself in a positive direction. And unhealthy guilt, it never resolves, or at least not for a very long time, right? Because you haven't done anything to move past it because you can't fix it because it wasn't realistically something that you had in your power to do in the first place. So unhealthy guilt is going to stick with you for a lot longer than healthy guilt because healthy guilt, you, you process it, you recognize, oh, I messed up. You figure out what it takes to make it right, as right as you can, and you move on um, and do better in the future. Okay, so if unhealthy guilt is sticking with you, if it's plaguing you, um, this, is, this is the verse that I love when I'm when I need encouragement as a mom, when I'm feeling like, you know what? I never have diapers, I never have wipes, I'm always having to, I'm never getting it right. When I have guilt over not being the mom that I wanna be, when I have guilt because I say, oh, I snapped again, instead of, instead of showing my kids grace and mercy, I snapped at them again. And I said, oh, you know, you're so aggravating or whatever. And I, and I feel that, I feel that guilt nagging at me. This is one of my favorite verses um, because it says, my grace, is, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. 
So I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And this is what Ben was talking about. We have a partner. The Holy Spirit is our partner. And the good news is, is that the weaker we are, the stronger he is in our lives. And you know what? His strength is what's getting me through, not my own power, whatever that is. My own power doesn't really get me anywhere. And so the more I can rely on his power in my weakness, the better. Um, And so I just want you to be encouraged. I don't know if you have that guilt in your heart today, if you're feeling that, but if you are, be encouraged because... Because God is with you, and his power is perfect. And he, he makes up the difference in what we are and what we need to be. So the, the bottom line is um, we are going to be much more effective disciple makers when we stop listening to our guilt and shame telling us that we're not enough. Instead of going all in with that still small voice that tells us, Do not fear, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. God says that to us, he says that to our kids, and we need to believe him. We're going to end with some time in prayer for our kids, but before we get there, um, I mean, we've tried to cover everything that we could think of in these four sessions. But if you have questions and realize we are not experts, we are simply trying to figure this out. Um, It's just something that we're passionate about. Um, So some time for question and answer as we are wrestling with this together. Maybe a quick word of encouragement to parents. And we were talking about this earlier, how kids these days in some communities work faster than parents. They're in school together, and they know each other, and they ally together doing things while we were parents from different places. So I just, I would, I'm hoping in our community and encourage everyone for parents to be together in community. Because that's not what we have these days as much as before. And with parents in community, we can be better examples to our kids. So I, it's just something to think about, and I think that we certainly need in the community that I'm in, and uh, maybe yours too. Yeah, for, for sure, um, parenting can feel very lonely. So reach out, create a small group in your church where you're connecting with other parents because just talking about this helps us not feel as alone, helps us feel like we're wrestling alongside other people. Thank you. Um, I guess my question is those, um, one of the sessions you mentioned about how sometimes we will pause after maybe when we speak or do something and we'll say, oh, maybe that was my mom talking. Um, When it comes to um, generational tendencies or I'll just call them curses, especially when they're negative, when does that stop? Because I'm thinking, okay, um, before you have children, right? We're believing that Christ has made us new creatures that we're praying that most of those bad character traits are gone. And maybe it takes 
a, a certain situation to bring that out again. Um, but does it ever stop because we keep passing on certain things to our kids and their kids and does it ever stop? I guess that's my question. Um, well, I can tell you that I have some of the problems with my grandfather. Um, <laughs> the, the beautiful thing about parenting though, and this is the good news of that, is that what we've learned to struggle with and how we've learned to deal with those things makes us the ones best equipped to raise our children because they're going to have the same things. Um, I mean, going back to my brothers, my parents didn't think that they could have children and so they adopted two boys. And interestingly enough, when my two older brothers met their birth parents, they were both adopted out of the hospital and never laid eyes on their birth parents. When they were 18, my father took them back to Indonesia to meet their birth parents. And both of my brothers, to a T, had developed the personality issues that their fathers had. Um, and so, yeah, no, and they had never, I mean, they probably had laid eyes on their mother as they were born, but their fathers probably not even. Um, and so it, it is real. Um, and I think that created some unique challenges in raising my brothers because my parents didn't always understand the struggles that my brothers had. Um, so I, I think that it can be discouraging to look at passing down our own failures to our children, but also it's good news because we're the ones best equipped to help them work through those because they're the same things we've struggled with. Um, maybe many of you won't be able to relate to this, but it's more from like a kid's perspective. Like if I see that my mom is like going through like guilt or things like that, like what's something like that I could like tell her or, you know, do that might help. I don't know. <laughs> Moms always just want to hear that you love them and a thank you for anything is great. I mean, speaking as a mom, I, I'm sure some other moms could talk more uh, about older kids. My kids are still pretty little. I mean, but a hug and a thank you goes a long way for moms. And just saying, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. And, and just telling her that you love her and maybe listen to her once in a while. That, that'll go a long way, too. I, I think something else is, I don't know exactly why, but we have a culture where somehow talking to our kids about God is not something we feel comfortable doing. We, we're completely comfortable with our kids learning about God, and we want the pastor to do that or teachers. Talk to your mom about your relationship with Jesus. Because as a parent, that's what we care about most. And regardless of how anything else goes, if your mom sees that you are passionate about Jesus, 
you're good. Yeah, it's actually surprising. As a, I, I taught um, seventh and eighth grade students um, for a few years, and um, fifth and sixth grade students for a lot of years. And my husband has worked with kids a lot too. And it is shocking to us that so many parents say, you know, will say, well, the parents will come to a teacher or come to a youth pastor or a children's pastor and say pastor, teacher, I don't know what to do with my kids. They're just, they don't want to go to church. They don't, you know, they won't listen. They won't, they don't want to read their Bibles. And we say, well, you know, what's their personal spiritual, like what, do they love Jesus? And the parents don't know. They don't ask their kids. They don't have these conversations sometimes because they're afraid of what the answer might be, I think. Sometimes because they don't feel equipped because they're not a pastor. Um, they don't have, you know, a, a degree in child education. They, they feel not equipped, and I don't know what it is, but, yeah, something about our culture, something about something about it makes us afraid to talk and and parents will come and say that and and it's great if you have a pastor who's going to talk to your child about their spiritual lives but man it's going to mean a lot more coming from you it's it's going to mean a lot to your kids even if they are resistant at first Um, and maybe they won't answer you but it's going to matter to them that you asked And even kids that are really engaged, um, a lot of parents are, you know, they're beyond shocked when they find out that their kids want to be baptized. When a teacher says, guess what, Johnny made a decision for baptism, or, um, you know, they'll tell my husband that they want to be baptized, and and Ben will call the parents, and the parents will say, I have no idea, I had no idea that they wanted to be baptized. You know, talk to your kids. These are the biggest decisions that they're going to make. These are the things that we're shooting for. These are the goals that we have and the values that we're trying to instill, and we don't talk to our kids about them. So, yeah, be willing to be open and vulnerable yourself with your kids and be willing to have a hard conversation and be willing to be okay if they just look at you and say, mom or dad, you know, and just keep asking. If they don't answer you the first time, try again. And maybe talk about yourself and your spiritual life for a little while first so that they realize that it's a two-way conversation. Any other questions? This isn't so much of a question as a comment. As you were saying that about, you know, spending time talking to your kids about their relationship with God, I remember something I heard from Dr. Dobson many years ago. He said, there's no such thing as quality time and quantity time. Quality time comes from quantity time. You have to spend a lot of time with your kids to get those few quality times. You don't just go and say, okay, I haven't been seeing you all week, now let's have our thing. You have to be constantly spending it. And one of the things that has helped us a lot is we had to make a decision. And the decision is one of us needs to stay home all the time. We, we, we're sacrificing money, 
We're sacrificing new cars. We have a 15-year-old car and an 18-year-old car. We sacrifice a lot of things. But that time with your kids, you're not getting it back. You only have 18 years maybe. Yeah, it's true. Our time is, is limited, and it's important to, um, to have that quality time. And if, you're not, if you don't have a connection with your kids, you're not going to form it in five-minute segments. Um, but there are parents, and maybe parents here even, that don't have the option of having, you know, if you're a, in a single-parent home, or, you know, if you... There are parents that can't make that decision to be home all the time. And so what are you going to do? You work with what you have. You, you do your best to make sure that the adults that are helping you raise your kids are supporting you in your goals. You know, have the family values conversation with your caregivers. Have it with your, you know, with your teachers. I mean, you know, it, if they're helping you, you, all of us need all the help that we can get. So if you're, if you're alone in this thing, or if you, I mean, not everybody can be a stay-at-home parent, and I know that. Um, and, and if you are, you know, a lot of people are making sacrifices and doing the best that they can, um, and you don't necessarily have a huge quantity of time to spend with your kids, but um, try to get as many people in their lives on board with what you're doing as you possibly can, um, because there are people there to help you, pastors and teachers and, um, you know, babysitters. I, there are people, fam other family members, um, but, but it, you know, we just have to be intentional. And the time that you do have, don't be afraid to have those conversations and deepen the relationship when you get the opportunity. So taking advantage of the time that you have and making as much quality out of whatever quantity you have to give. I'm sorry I came late and I didn't follow the whole session. But I came when you were saying that uh, sometimes the mistakes that kids are doing are they have seen them in their parents. Is that a genetic thing or? Um, I mean, we in a previous session we talked about modeling and how we model behavior. But also, I mean, the example of my brothers there was definitely inherited some genetic mistakes, and I think that. Unfortunately, we have the ability to pass down wrong oh so easily. But I think I'm not, I'm not sure if you're asking about, we're talking about maybe um, like character flaws, not sinful acts. So yeah, we're not, we're talking about, yes, I mean, you know, I have a tough time asking for help and that is passed down to my children. Um, you know, different things like that, uh, character flaws, um, that with the help of the Holy Spirit and discipline, um, we can, we can move past those and we can, um, we can develop ways to work on those. Um, so I don't think that genetics are necessarily, you know, all doom and gloom and you can't escape anything. <laughs> you know, you can't escape any of the character flaws of your parents. And, and we, 
um, we can certainly develop our own new character flaws too. Um, but, but that's where discipline and the work of the Holy Spirit comes in in our lives and in our children's lives. I was hoping that you would have forgotten because I had this zeal to speak in as I go, and then I'm losing it. But anyway, I want to uh, thank the gentleman over here for saying find the support or, you know, parents getting together. I appreciate that, but in my case, I find that difficult. I, too, adopted two uh, siblings, boy and a girl, adopted late in life. So most people my age have adult kids. And most parents that are the adult kids now, they're grandkids. So I'm not finding a place where I fit to get that support that I need. Um, it feels very lonely. I reached out to another church. I belong to a very, very small church where my two children are the only two children. So um, they spend a lot of time at Pathfinders and things like that at another church. But um, as I said, the adult parents there are, could be my kids, and my kids could be their grandkids, my grandkids. So um, parenting is the hardest and I don't mind working, I'm a hard worker, but this is very hard. So um, if any of you guys, when you leave, remember me and your prayers, I would appreciate that. And I, My name is and I think we talked a little bit about the dangers of social media. This would be one of the pros. Facebook groups allow us to connect even when we're in more rural areas where there is nobody who seems to understand what we're going through. In the world, there are. Yeah. Well, because I do limit, well, not limit, we don't do social media in my home. But um, some Friday nights when I'm trying to find Sabbath lessons and things like that, I believe I ran across you, so I will be looking at that. Okay, thank you. I am still in this whole parenting I've game. I don't know how it'll all turn out, but I just want to make a quick um, comment about when we're talking about genetics and family and not knowing ultimately how things will work out with our children. I struggle with that a lot, but I just am so filled with hope when I look at Christ and what he offers. My, my children, I have four, and some are adopted, and some are birth children, and we also do foster care. And I recently had a small child in my home that was two, and he had experienced all sorts of things. Um, but just seeing his heart open to the Lord, and it made me realize that every child is a child of God, and every child has an opportunity to know God, and that's what God ultimately wants. And so I just praise the Lord for that, for my own children and for any child that we ever come in contact with. The possibilities are infinite of what they can be and where they can go with Christ. And I am just so thankful for that. Did you see the next slide? No. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for that perfect segue. 1 John 3, 1. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The love we have for our children, the desire we have for them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ is nothing compared to the love he has for our children. They're his children first. We are his children. And so, on your darkest days, let that be a reminder that no matter how much you own this, no matter how strongly you feel about it, the God of the universe shares that. And he is partnering with you on this. So I want that to be our prayer focus as we close up. Just turn to the people at your table. Let's, let's lift up our children in prayer. And let's hand them over to our Heavenly Father. Yes, and of course, if, if you do not have children, you can pray for your parents as well. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.